his karate lessons might not turn him into a black belt. Hi-ya! And even after band camp, he might not be the greatest musician. But with the 3% annual percentage yield you can earn on a PenFed premium online savings account, your goal of supporting his dreams, thanks for everything, mom and dad, will always be worth it. Apply today at PenFed.org savings. Federally insured by NCUA. $5 minimum to open account. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed. PenFed's got great rates for everyone. Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. Podcasting from the top of the rocks. This is News on the Rocks with Patty Steele. It's such a fascinating story. And I think, um, first of all, I have to introduce you. See, I'm so excited to meet you that I'm, I'm kind of not <laughs> this. We're talking to uh, Christina Fontana, who is the creator and the director of Relentless, which is a story about a young woman who um, basically just disappeared. It was Christina Whitaker. And how old was she when she disappeared again? Yeah, Christina Whitaker disappeared when she was 21 years old. And it was uh, Friday the 13th in November of 2009. Yeah. And I mean, she was um, a beautiful young woman, a mother, um, had a boyfriend, had a crazy mother, (laughs) kind of a crazy life in little Hannibal, Missouri, which most of us just know from Mark Twain. We don't really understand that these things are never what they seem on the surface. Um, How did you get involved in this? What got you going? Yeah, I, you know, I started a documentary on families of the missing in 2007, and I was really interested in what it was like for the families who felt that they had to carry the weight of their own investigations on top of just living their life and dealing with the emotions of having a missing loved one. Mm-hmm. And in the summer of 2010, I met Christina's parents, her mom and her stepdad, at a retreat for families of the missing. Right. And they were only supposed to be one voice in a documentary of a number of voices, but Cindy, Christina's mom, had such a passion and a tenacity for finding her, and she had active leads. And it, it, I got caught up in, in the excitement of, of, we can do this, there's hope here. And she tracked Christina to what she believed was uh, 200 miles away from the town that they grew up in, which was Hannibal, Missouri, that's where Christina's from. Mm-hmm. And Cindy said that she believed that she tracked Christina to a 20 block radius. So I said, okay. And the, and the focus just shifted onto Christina's case. And, you know, from the first three episodes, as you can tell, it really went into places that I never imagined it would go. And I'll say about the last three episodes that are coming up, it becomes a real thrill ride of the things get that get thrown at me and the things that we uncover, not only in Christina's case, but about the town of Hannibal, Missouri and the, the allegations of corruption that go on there. Just crazy. It, I, I thought it was kind of your perfect comment at the very end was WTF. <laughs> That's exactly what I was feeling. It's just interesting to me because one of the things I love documentaries and the thing that makes to me a great documentary is when there's a story that surprises the filmmaker, as opposed to you going in and you're saying, okay, I'm going to tell this story and I know the beginning, the middle and the end. And you didn't. 
did that, was that difficult for you? Because I, I watched this and I thought, wow, this is kind of like a big pile of fishing line that's so tangled that I don't know how you, you see your way through. Did you ever want to give up on this story? Because you chased it for, I mean, over a decade. Yeah, my intention in the beginning was to be a fly on the wall in this process. And right. I was for the first two and a half years of the investigation. And it wasn't until the allegations that come out at the end of episode one, did the camera turn on me? That was actually the first time that really I get sucked into that diary cam I do right before it because things right. weren't up. And that was the first time that I decided to say, okay, the only way to really tell the story is to explain what's happening behind the scenes because things are not adding up. And the emotional toll that it took on me was pretty substantial. And that's why I chose to do the diary cams, because once the walls of the narrative of what happened to Christina Whitaker started coming down, I wanted to take all the walls down and let yeah. people experience in real time what I was feeling, the confusion, the gaslighting, the processing of everything. So there were many times that I felt that I wanted to walk away, but I just felt like you know, the reason I started the project in the first place was to help find justice for Christina. And mm -hmm. I realize, and I talk about that uh, in episode five at the 10 year mark, I get pretty candid that, you know, when I agreed to help search for Christina, it didn't come with any strings, you know, I'll only help if no one lies to me. I'll only help if you're a good person. And, and everybody was, <laughs> yeah, justice for that girl. So that's what kept me going. Um, but yeah, it, it got really, really intense and scary in, in a lot of ways. I was going to ask you if you were at, at any point scared, because I think that, um, you know, at, at some point you must almost lose your confidence because you have an idea where something's going. And then all of a sudden everything turns around. I found myself, you would be talking to people and I would go, oh, wow, like she, he is a is not a bad guy. And then you would look at the camera and go, he's lying to me. Go, oh my God, how does she know that? Did you study any like criminal justice or anything at some point? I didn't. And, you know, and I get very candid about how naive I was going into this situation. Uh, documentary film that, you know, and I just really wanted to help. In the beginning, the family opened their arms to me and I yeah. dove right in just because I wanted to help. And I didn't vet them. I wasn't being objective in a lot of ways because I chose a side going into the story. And that was incredibly naive. And it was a growing experience for me. Um, so, no. And I think I realized pretty early on that, like, look, as soon as things got confusing, I realized I needed professional help. This, mm -hmm. this is a real life case. We're dealing with real lives here. So mm -hmm. I wanted professionals. So I, I always had investigators and advisors. And, and, and that group grows over the years because when we start getting into episode four, five, and six, I start to uncover some pretty damning allegations of things going on in Hannibal that were way above my head. Right. So I brought in um, ex-FBI uh, agents and people who dealt with this type of corruption, specifically in Hannibal. And then I, you know, uh, brought in my team to bring in people with journalism backgrounds because I knew enough to know that I didn't know everything and right. I needed help. Right. Did did you um, at any point kind of wonder, I mean, the thing that was really interesting to me is Cindy in particular um, seemed sort of confident in her, A, belief that her daughter was still alive, um, but also 
Like she had a narrative in mind, the way this story, the way you were going to tell the story, the way the uh, private investigators were dealing with it. Did you ever get the feeling, I'm sure you did, that's a leading question, that she just really was in this for the attention? You know, I, I don't think anybody would ask for a situation like this. No, um, I do think that there's a lot of unintended consequences uh, when a family of a missing person feels the need to take charge of their own case. Right. I think there's a natural tendency to want to protect your kid and to uh, be fearful of judgment. No one will want to help us if they look at us in a certain light. That being said, there was a lot of difficulty with people trying to help this family because there were certain things that they were not wanting to get to light. And, you know, one of the, the lessons that I learned in this process is that if you don't put all the information on the table, you are trying to solve a puzzle without all the pieces. And right. now that's where you start to get confusion. You start to get a lot of rumors and allegations. So it really harms people trying to help you if you just don't face facts and put everything on the table in the beginning. So that was a lesson therapy. that I, I feel. Yeah. Kind of like going through therapy. <laughs> you have to be honest or there's kind of you're wasting your time and your money and your emotions. Yeah. And I cannot understand, you know, as a mother, um, I'm not a mother, but I can understand her need to want to hang on to a narrative that keeps Christina alive and waiting for rescue. So that's not always, um, you know, it was an unintended consequence, I think, of her saying, I won't accept any other lead except for this one narrative, because in that narrative, Christine is waiting for me to come pick her up. So I, I can understand that. We all kind of try to, you know, step back and imagine what it would be like, because you never think it's going to happen to you. And you try to imagine what it would be like for that to happen. I've got three kids. And I think all the time when they run into New York City or whatever it is they're doing that, oh, my God, you know, this could happen. In your experience with people who have someone missing, do, do they ever get to recovery? Or is that something that just haunts them for their lives or... If you list, uh, statistically, there are a lot of people who are recovered every year. Um, there, I believe, and this was years ago, I had the statistic that there was 7% of missing person cases remain open. Mm -hmm. I think the difficulty that I had seen in cases of missing people are when it comes down to adults. When you're 18, you have the right to be missing. So yeah. the families that I had met and the ones who struggled in their cases had to prove foul play to law enforcement officials. And some, some of these small towns, they just don't have training. And yeah. it's a matter of these police departments don't even know how to handle a case that goes on for, you know, long periods of time. So I've met some families that actually have had some pretty harsh things said to them um, by their local police departments. I'm not saying they all, you know, all police departments react this way, but I've heard stories of families being told by police, well, aliens just took them, you know, or maybe they were just tired of you and they left. So now you're a grieving mother and, and the one entity that's supposed to help isn't helping and you really become desperate at that point. So I've seen patterns of that with missing adults. Do you think that they, in, in fairness to uh, law enforcement, that they either get jaded or they get frustrated after a long time and no leads and they just want it to go away? 
Yeah, I mean, it's hard to tell because um, in a lot of ways, of course, law enforcement can't share the leads that they have because yeah. it's an open case. And particularly with the families, there has to be an understanding that if you have a very diligent law enforcement agency on your side, they're going to be looking at you as they should, because they should be looking at everything. So I think um, some families might be trying to seek comfort in the law enforcement officials. So it would be nice if there would be maybe um, a representative that could at least bring some sort of uh, communication to families. And I guess it's a case by case basis with law enforcement agencies on how they handle it. Right. But um, it's difficult for them, too, in a lot of ways, because there are very dedicated officers who have sleepless nights in cases of missing people. And I've worked with a lot of those officers in other cases. A lot of these people will spend their spare time joining volunteer search and rescue organizations right. because they're that dedicated to helping find answers for families. But then you have the issue that you apparently will explore a little more in the coming episodes on uh, corruption. Um, how widespread does that get? Yeah, there's um, a lot of allegations against this particular law enforcement agency, the Hannibal Police Department. There is um, a reputation that they have of secrecy. There mm -hmm. are some explosive things that we uncover in the next three episodes, particularly episode six pertaining to Christina's case. Right. Um, and we were hearing stories from locals, from current and former law enforcement officials. So it wasn't even just our personal experience with the Hannibal Police Department. It right. was a collection of experiences that we report on in the series. Wow. It's it's how much over the course of that, what, 10 years that you spent with this, how much of your time did you devote to this story? A lot. Um, you know, it was it's hard to measure the time, but I think you'll see it in these diary cams. A lot of times I'm fresh out of the shower and scrambling to get on my computer to record or at work or at the gym or at my mom's house. And this case never went to sleep and neither did I, because I, I always felt that if I didn't pick up the phone, if I didn't listen to that person, no matter mm -hmm. how jaded I got, I'm going to miss my chance to solve this case. So it became an obsession of mine that I can't turn anyone away. I have to listen to everyone and I have to track down everything because you can't leave any stone unturned. And that was one thing that we found in her case. There were a lot of unturned stones that we right. really wanted to vet. Yeah. So it was, it was a huge, huge, and still is a part of my life. And my phone has been ringing off the hook since these first three episodes dropped with people in town that now have seen people come forward and want to share their, their stories as well. Yeah, it's sort of, I kept thinking as I watched you sometimes driving, sometimes sitting down and just sort of, you know, you seemed like you were alone. Maybe there was somebody there filming you. I can't tell whether you had that set up, but it was so intimate that I thought, man, how do you escape that when you're done with something that you've devoted this enormous part of your very young life to? How do you... How do you escape that? How do you move on? I don't think a part of me will ever move on until we find justice for Christina. This is always going to be the thing that 
um, is ingrained in me. And one of the things that I want to do now, especially because of all the other families of the missing that I had met along the way, particularly the ones that I met at the beginning of this process, and they're being so relentless in their cases and and not beyond even just missing people. There are families who are being relentless about finding justice for their murdered loved ones. And I really want to continue to share all of those stories because there's some pretty brave families out there and they have their stories to tell. Does it, does it ever eat at you though? You know, I, I always think about that when I talk to people who do particularly difficult jobs. I went through breast cancer like seven years ago and I'm fine. But I remember looking at my doctor and saying, what do you do to escape this pain? What do you personally do to escape the pain that you're seeing in these people, this, this sort of desperation? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, you know, particularly in my case, because there were so many complications with the family, because mm-hmm. I wanted to uncover things and put everything that was relevant to the case out there. And it got complicated because there were some things they didn't want to come to light. Sure. And in the end, I, I felt that it was going to help. And I felt it I still feel it will help bring justice to Christina, but that the weight of that um, guilt of, you know, not wanting to share something that someone doesn't want to share, even though, you know, it's the right thing and, and the dark stories. And there are some pretty dark stories that we, we explore even in the, in the final three episodes to me, I always, I like hiking. I feel like I just need to go into nature and I need to be quiet Um, Yeah, I come home and I don't put true crime on. I put comedies. (laughs) You know, it's so funny. I was just yesterday reading an article in an old uh, New Yorker magazine and they were talking about HGTV and this guy who worked on like Game of Thrones and all these other intense like rip your head off things. He said there is nothing in the world like coming home and putting on, you know, love it or list it. Yeah. Or one of these shows, The Property Brothers, because it's like, <sighs> yeah. what, I thought maybe that's what she's going to do next. She's going to take a little break and she'll do an HGTV. <laughs> yeah, I have, I have a plan to go to Disneyland now that it's back open. I'm very excited about that. And <laughs> Chips Creek is my happy place. I, oh, I, isn't it? Oh, my God. Yeah. Right? I, I wish that it had continued forever. And what a great show. Yeah. Um, yeah, this is... It's a really fascinating thing. And, and you know, as a, as a person who um, enjoys true crime type stories, you begin to get a little bit jaded in terms of what's good true crime and what is just stretched out beyond. But I just have to say, this just locks you in all along the way. And I think a big part of it is how personal it is for you. And I think that's why it was... You know, I looked at you and I thought, oh, my God, how does she get through every day? You live, you don't live anywhere near Hannibal, right? You live. Yeah, I know. I'm out in Los Angeles. (laughs) (laughs) So you're spending a lot of time in this little two-bit town, you know, and going through all of this. And um, it's, it's a really, it's fascinating that you got into this. Is this kind of the direction that you expected to go or was it? simply doing that other piece on missing people that took you to this. Yeah, I I did not expect it. Um, And thank you for saying that, you know, um, I had over 400 hours of footage to to work with in this. um, And it was very important to not um, get bogged 
down too much in any part of the story. I certainly needed to set up, you know, uh, Christina's life and a lot of things. So I think you get a lot of that in the first three episodes. The last three episodes really become a thrill ride because of everything that comes at us. And it was so hard to not include everything, but it is impossible. There was just way too much that gets thrown thrown at me. Um, so yeah, I mean, it was it was very difficult. I had no idea it was going to take this type of direction. It was. I figured in 2007 I'd be doing this for two three years, and I, you know, I don't know if anyone's going to watch it. It'll be a little independent film about families of the missing, and right. to be so connected and empathetic to families of the missing and to have this turn where I felt like a family of the missing was taking advantage of me was not a place I was expecting to go at all. And that's hooked me into saying, okay, what's going on here? And I kept not wanting to believe it. And that's why it kept going on. I'm like, no, 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 no. There's gotta be something we're going to get, we got to clear this up. And every step that I took, it kept getting darker and it kept getting crazier. Um, so no, not in a million years did I expect it to go in this direction. Well, I love that you shared your vulnerability. I think, honestly, I really believe that's what kept at least me locked in because it was, I was kind of riding with you when you were going, what? No, this can't be happening. I was like, yeah, no, you're right. This can't be happening. Like I was in the car with you. <laughs> that's, and that's great because that was my intention of the diary cams and keeping everything very raw. I, I tried not to go too stylized with anything because I really wanted to take down all the walls and and have those in the moment um, uh, times with the audience. And, mm-hmm. and, and when I was doing those diary cams, I was always alone. And I really just wanted to feel like I was talking to my friend and to myself and saying, you know, I want you to be in this place with me right here, right now. And this is how crazy I'm feeling and and how confusing this all is. So um, I'm glad you felt that. Yeah. Oh, yeah, totally. What do you want to do next? What do you want to move on to? Um, You know, I have found amazing partners in Discovery Plus and Blumhouse who are very dedicated to finding justice in a lot of cases and also sharing the stories of other families being relentless. So I'm really trying to turn my focus now into, okay, let's share other stories because I'm not the only person who has been dedicated to a case for many years. And I think that um, getting their stories out there will help a lot of cases. Yeah, I, I, I kind of, that was part of what I kept thinking when I was watching this, that, you know, these are just regular folks out there in kind of the, the middle of the country who, who don't really have necessarily the resources of, of, on multiple dimensions of saying, you got to listen to me. We need to figure out what's going on here. And so a voice like yours is just incredibly valuable, but it's also, you know, fascinating for the rest of us, because I think above and beyond the, uh, you know, wow, watch that. It also encourages us to have a heart for people that are going through something that, that the rest of us can't even begin to imagine dealing with. Yeah. I think that's one of the lessons that you take away in the end. I hope people take away that you know, you should always be skeptical, but you should be kind because there's no script for this. And it was confusing for me. And there are a lot of allegations and rumors about the family, but they are missing their daughter. They're, you yeah. know, this and I, missing her mother. And, you know, it's, it's very real for them. 
I love that it went that direction because at one point, uh, one of the private investigators was saying to you, oh, you're being, you're being used. And I thought, wow, she's going to get really pissed off. And instead, you were incredibly empathetic about, you know, why they may have gone in that direction. Because I thought the same thing um, after you did, <laughs> that um, they, were, they were trying to protect who she was on some level. So maybe they didn't share the story because they just wanted to protect her reputation. And, um, and you understanding that, I think, allowed that connection between the family and the story to continue, whereas you could have gotten kind of angry and separated yourself completely. So that's um, a fascinating part of it. Yeah, and, and I'm, I'm glad you saw it that way, too, it, because it is important to remember that everything's not about us. You know, I mean, they were going through something and there was a reason in it. And it, again, it, you know, it complicated people um, trying to help them uh, yeah. because you don't want to manipulate facts and you don't want to hide. You don't want to lie um, because it, it will make people suspect of you. So, um, but at the same time, this poor family is desperate and they're trying to, everyone's trying to do the best they can, I hope. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. We all make mistakes. Right. right. Well, uh, again, loving this, uh, relentless. It's on Discovery Plus. And um, the first three episodes had me absolutely riveted. I binged it. And I'm really looking forward to the next three. Can't wait to see it. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Christina Fontana. You're, you're a gem. <laughs> his karate lessons might not turn him into a black belt Hi-ya! and even after band camp he might not be the greatest musician but with the three percent annual percentage yield you can earn on a PenFed premium online savings account your goal of supporting his dreams thanks for everything mom and dad will always be worth it apply today at penfed.org savings federally insured by ncua five dollar minimum to open account to receive any advertised product you must become a member of penfed PenFed's got great rates for everyone. How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. Get Cox Internet powered by fiber with America's fastest download speeds. It's Internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply. Analysis by Ookla speed test intelligence data. Fixed median download speeds. USQ3 2023.